Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Typically, narcissism, which starts off as a characteristic or personality trait, then takes on um, a new level when it starts to become kind of in the disorder aspect and it's that spectrum. So the personality disorder is the spectrum disorder. And that typically starts in adolescence and it has a lot to do with their childhood and how they were raised. And uh, narcissists and codependents, their opposites, right? Their partners are also raised in a, sim- a similar home um, where they are loved on certain conditions and not unconditionally and typically with the budding narcissist they are loved on the condition that they become the successful child who can reflect the ideals of their narcissistic parent and once they start to get supply and safety from that parent then they start to then take on this false sense of self Welcome to the seventh episode of our year-long series on divorcing a narcissist and high-conflict divorce. Today, we're talking about magic words to get what you want from high-conflict personalities. Communicating with a high-conflict personality is often frustrating and fruitless and leaves us feeling angry, exhausted, and often unheard. We shared some powerful strategies in our last episode, and today we're continuing to explore how to effectively communicate with your high-conflict spouse. Today's episode offers a unique and compelling approach to communicating with a narcissist that will enable you to protect your interests without conflict or drama. Sounds good, right? This strategy neutralizes combative and emotionally charged power struggles and inspires the narcissist to cooperate. So get ready to take notes. I'm really excited to introduce today's special guest, Lindsay Ellison, who is the author of Magic Words. She's a relationship coach and founder of Start Over Coaching, which is a practice dedicated to helping people navigate their divorce or breakup with a specialty in helping people break free of narcissistic abuse. Lindsay's brilliantly designed and simple yet powerful five-step strategy detailed in her best-selling book, Magic Words, How to Get What You Want from a Narcissist. Um, Today, she's going to share parts of that strategy with us. Welcome, Lindsay. Well, thank you so much for the introduction. So glad to be here. 
Yeah, this is such an important conversation. Uh, we met with some folks from the High Conflict Institute in our last episode and began talking about communicating. And, you know, you just can't talk enough about the various ways to uh, communicate with these high conflict personalities. So before we get into the finer details of what magic words is and why it works, uh, why did you come up with this? Con how and why did you come up with this concept? Well, I've been coaching for about seven, almost eight years now, and I came up with a strategy well before I had written the book. And I myself have exited and have been divorced from a narcissist and co-parent with him. I have shared custody with him. I have two teenage boys now, but I was, I divorced 10 years ago and leaving and exiting that relationship was the first hurdle. And then it was the co-parenting aspect of him and, uh, or it was the co-parenting aspect of the challenges that I really wasn't very prepared for. And when you read books about narcissists or anything about them, a lot of it, um, while true, is that you know they are incredibly powerful people. They be you know they they bully and they do all this stuff that feels very disempowering. But when you are trying to either get out of that relationship or when you are you know navigating the divorce with them or co-parenting with them the abuse really continues and not only within them, but within ourselves. So we often carry this kind of victim mindset. A lot of it's really subconscious where we feel disempowered every time we engage with them. And I found that the typical advice for dealing with a narcissist was no contact. Well, it's very difficult to have no contact when, if you're still living with them, if you have to, even family situations, if your mother, for instance, it's, you know, you've got to deal with that, but it's also when you're trying to co-parent with a narcissist. And my personal transformation really came through being educated on what narcissism is and the origins of it. What are the origins of codependency and kind of what's my story? And once I started to kind of map that out, I realized that this guy isn't as strong as I've always thought he was. And so the shift has always been for me is looking at them with a different lens, which then makes us more powerful. We're not reacting where we're thinking through things. We're being two steps ahead of them. And I had um, really went from, you know, being so terrified to talk to him to nothing he ever says bothers me. And then as I was, you know, parenting my kids through this and watching them grow, it's about me coaching them because everything that I struggled with, now they are struggling with, or I've been seeing them, I've watched through the years that they've struggled with. So once you start to recognize that the antidote to um, feeling disempowered is truly about empowering yourself, which is self-love and having boundaries, right? So when I started to kind of create this philosophy, I started to create then more of a program, which ended up becoming my book, which is the magic. And the magic is an acronym, which I know we're going to get into, but that's really how I, by looking at them with a different lens, then we can start to see them differently. They're never going to see us differently, but if we see them differently, then we can change and shift the dynamic. 
Absolutely. Um, I love the way you said that. And I, I just want to stay a minute on this concept of a different lens. So typically when someone starts talking about their narcissistic um, spouse, uh, everyone thinks he or she is so charismatic. They're so smart. They get over on everyone. Everyone's going to believe them over me. And they are, they're bigger than life. And they, um, they hold all of this power in that person's perspective. When you talk about a different lens, share with our listeners what that looks like. So typically narcissism, which starts off as a characteristic or personality trait, then takes on um, a new level when it starts to become kind of in the disorder aspect and it's that spectrum. So the personality disorder is the spectrum disorder. And that typically starts in adolescence and it has a lot to do with their childhood and how they were raised. And uh, narcissists and codependents, their opposites, right? Their partners are also raised in a, sim a similar home um, where they are loved on certain conditions and not unconditionally. And typically with the budding narcissist, they are loved on the condition that they become the successful child who can reflect the ideals of their narcissistic parent. And once they start to get supply and safety from that parent, then they start to then take on this false sense of self. Again, this starts to happen around the adolescence, you know, the, the years. And what I like to always say, just to simplify things, is narcissism is just a, a, a coping mechanism. It's a survival tool. Just the same way with codependency. You know, codependents typically survive by not speaking up to avoid punishment to be the pleaser, um, to be seen as the pleasing child and to not be the person who creates conflict. We're the ones who are the easier ones to deal with. And then that can turn into a problem, right? The, the empathy that we have then actually creates boundary issues. And then we attract people who like to take advantage of other people, which are narcissists, right? right. So um, the different lens is really getting people to think about the beginning of their narcissism and where did it all come from? The origin of it, the epidemiology of it, if you will. And that's because of how they were raised and the issues and the narrative that they have within themselves. And they do have a narrative. It's deeply, deeply repressed, but they do have a narrative. And the stronger that you become, you are threatening their false sense of self. And they then experience an injury, which in clinical terms is the narcissistic injury. And you, having been with this person for X amount of years, have been taught that should you not threaten me, you will then be rewarded. Should you threaten me, you then get punished. So divorce is the ultimate boundary, isn't it? It's like you can't do certain things. You can't have all the things that you want. And so rather than fighting with them, because that's what we think we have to do, all that's doing is threatening their false sense of self. So you're going to be constantly met with conflict. Another way of looking at it is, is understanding the little boy or the little girl behind the mask, behind this all this charismatic person. And you realize then how much fear and insecurity and anxiety that they are dealing with constantly constantly. 
And when you see that and you realize that you don't have to be that person, then you're now not engaged in that toxic dynamic. So, you know, that's really interesting because what I hear you saying is, um, so many people see the narcissist as, you know, just this big, mean, evil person. And what you're what you're saying, my words, not yours, is he or she is just a broken human being because of their own childhood upbringing. We had Ross Rosenberg on a couple of uh, weeks ago, and he talked a lot about that. So and yet I want to stay on this um, different lens thing, because what's interesting is uh once you start seeing them as just that 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 injured, broken person, um, that would bring compassion in. And yet for so many codependents, they're so heavily empathetic and caring for the other person that um, that that's feels dangerous and like dangerous, a slippery right. slope back to where they were. And so I'd love to stay here for a minute. I'm totally on the same page with you, but there is that, like, I have to be angry. If I don't stay in anger right now, I'll slip into caretaking, like that type of fear. What do you, how would you address that before we get into the communicating part? It's a really, really great point. And I'm glad you took time to just pause there because I call it, it's a practice of empathy with boundaries, right? When you are in anger mode, that's another word for fear. That's what anger is. And I think we forget that. So when you are in anger mode and you are in a fearful place, they've got you. <laughs> but it does not mean that you have to then love them in order. And then, and then you've kind of slipping into that empathetic over compassion and being a doormat. It's having love for you. And when you have love for you, meaning self-respect, and you're coming from an authentic place, then you can see them as a child who's having a meltdown. And I love to say this. I love to give this. I even, I think, I think I mentioned this in my book. Um, if you were to be, let's say at a restaurant, picture yourself kind of in a diner setting and you see, you know, you're trying to, you're in your, at your table and you hear this kind of kid having a temper tantrum. And you're the first thing you are is you're just really irritated that this kid's having a temper tantrum. But then you look over across the table and you see that this kid might be you're you're you could tell this child is disabled, that there's something wrong with mm. that child. And your heart whatever, softens. Yep. Whatever irritation you have, you're like, oh, okay, they don't know any better. They can't do anything more than the capacity that they have. That's the same way narcissists are. They don't know any better. They are disabled. They are emotionally unintelligent. They, uh, they operate out of fear. A temper tantrum is fear. It's fear of not having control. It's most, many narcissists have not only that, but they have anxiety disorder attached to that. And all of those things that are fearful within them is the opposite of the perfect person that they are trying to portray to the world. So the very act of having an anxiety or panic or whatever their anger that they're having makes them feel completely out of control. So their lack of control then, how they get control is projecting their fear onto you. Yep. And most codependents own it and they take it because they have been conditioned to do that their whole lives. 
I always say that you were destined to meet a codependent. You were, you're destined to meet a narcissist as long as you don't work and heal yourself first. Those issues became long before you met this person. Absolutely. I, I'm completely on that same page with you. So, so the interesting thing about this shift, uh, this, this shift in your lens as you're listening is really uh, to be to have the ability to set boundaries. And I know that's something that we're going to be talking more about. Um, And most codependents are, I have found equally as boundary oblivious as the narcissist (laughs) that we've, I was raised without any boundaries. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know why it was important. I didn't know how to do it. When I learned how to do it, I didn't know how to uphold it. And so, so if you're listening and like, this is like, you don't know boundaries, it's really vitally important that you you learn and understand how to set and uphold boundaries so that when you shift to this lens of, of really understanding that the behavior is mean and nasty, the individual is just broken and scared and, and coping. Um, what I'm hearing from you, Lindsay, is, is that's the shift from being the victim to seeing almost like that you're more on equal footing and being able to then respond um, from less of a fear-based or victim-based place. Is that correct? It is. And the reason why codependents have a hard time having boundaries is because you were rewarded to not have any. You were literally rewarded or praised for not having much more on a subconscious level. But I was raised the same way, you know, that um, it, in my home, it was you were to be seen and not heard. And that's it. And you have oh my no God, needs. I was raised with that exact same statement. <laughs> and you have no needs. So and if you have needs, then you're yep. going to get in trouble if you have needs. So and then my father is a narcissist. I was right. And, you know, he's a wonderful man. He's not full spectrum personality disorder narcissist, but enough to have caused a lot of identity issues within myself. And so I was then attracted to men just like him. And um, so when you hold up a boundary with your par- your romantic partner or whoever, it actually doesn't really matter if you hold up a boundary and you've been raised to not have them so that when you do, the first thing you do is you fear, you start to have panic that you're in trouble. So codependency, again, is not having boundaries. Why? Because we feel our survival is being threatened. So the very act of when we start to engage and they start to yell at us or threaten us, we want to retreat because we're scared of them. But using Ross's terminology, and I put this in my book because I think he coined it really well as the observing it and not absorbing it. Don't absorb their rage, just observe it. And they're having a temper tantrum. And I always like to position this too, is that if you have a little child and let's say your kid's like, I don't know, six years old, you're about to make, you're in the process of making dinner and he, your child goes to, you know, the refrigerator and wants food and you say no well we're about to have dinner or they want a candy bar um and then you know you're like here's the tantrum it's coming you already know it's coming because you you know it's a child right and do you then are you afraid that your kid's gonna have a tantrum well hopefully not you're gonna just say okay you can go have your tantrum but don't go do it in the other room or you put Mm -hmm get in the room. You don't then get on their level and have a tantrum with them and start arguing with them. That's the shift. 
it's allowing them to have their tantrum and knowing that they're getting mad and go, okay, that's their issue. That's their issue. It's not yours. And they want you to make it, uh, your issue so that they can offload their anxiety. And they are, especially if you've been married with this person for so long, that's been your pattern the right. entire time. And, and at that very moment is where they throw out the bait and you bite it. And all of a sudden, like you said, you're on the living room floor having the tantrum with them. Right. Right. And then You'll see if you've ever had an argument with a narcissist is as once you start to become hysterical, you'll see what happens to them. They become very calm. Mm -hmm. And then they will look at you and say, really, or whatever, whatever demeanor, whatever the dynamic is in that argument, yeah. it might be like, oh gosh, you seem to really have some anger issues, Lindsay. Are you okay? I'm worried about your mental health. Good thing you have me. Right. Or you you're the crazy one. You're the crazy yeah. one. Absolutely. And, and you absolutely look like the crazy one at that moment because right. you're just out of your mind. So so that's the dynamic. I'm sure we're describing um, exactly what's happening in your households. Divorce is hard, but a high-conflict divorce, it's overwhelming. It involves battling not just emotional tolls, but endless court dates, hidden finances, and toxic personalities. This is your call to action. Don't miss the ultimate high-conflict divorce summit from November 13 to 17, 2023. Our summit brings together an unparalleled lineup of experts, featuring leading psychologists who demystify high-conflict personalities, top financial advisors revealing strategies to uncover hidden assets, esteemed legal minds to guide you toward a favorable settlement, and renowned child experts who will arm you with the tools and tactics needed to fight effectively for custody. Act now and register for free to unlock an exclusive bounty of gifts from all 20 experts, yours just for signing up. Take back control. Visit journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash summit 2023. Register now and reclaim your future. Let's shift to this, these magic words and, um, and teach our listeners something about how they can look at the conversations differently and begin to engage with them differently. So what do the magic words provide um, to those who have unsuccessfully been communicating with their narcissist? What is this doing for them? Well, it's getting them to see the entire person from the inside out, right? Is to really understand. Remember, we talked about the origins. It's the it's the disability within that person. And once we get to start to see their disability, their inability to handle whatever the thing is that you're wanting them to handle. When you see that, then that's where you are now empowered with education. And again, you're looking at things with a different lens. But to just to back up from that, I mean, 
Where I came up with this idea was all of the years prior to coaching, I've been in the marketing and advertising world. And I've been educated on how do we market to X consumer? And how do I work with my clients who hire me to help them market to X consumer? <clears throat> and a slogan in commercial advertising is nothing but magic words that has been studied based on focus groups <laughs> and a lot of data. And there's a process when you work with um, a company to then have the slogan or the advertising campaign or the messaging, there's a process. And the very first thing is, is, is mapping the persona of the buyer. And that takes research, focus groups, quantitative, qualitative analysis. But the good news here is that you don't have to do a focus group because you know this person better than anyone, by the way. That is your advantage. If you've been with this person for years, <clears throat> whether you're still married to them or not, you have all that data. I'd say at least 98% of it, right? And now it's going through an exercise of which is the first letter M, mapping their persona, is understanding how, what's the structure? What's the construct? What where do they come from? So, so in many ways, what you're saying is um, the spouse is um, like the the marketing firm coming up with the words to get the buyer to buy. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. the spouse and meaning the, the let's just the, say the reader, my reader, right? The, the reader or yeah. the codependent who's yeah. who's listening and trying to communicate with um with the narcissist is like the marketing firm finding the right words, doing doing a number of exercises to come up with um with the right messaging to get the narcissist to um cooperate, collaborate, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And, and if I may, I can just kind of give the example that I use in my book about imagine you've got a brand of peanut butter that you are trying to get people to buy from you. You've got this wonderful peanut butter and it's a great product and you need them to buy it. Well, do you then say to them, you've got to buy my peanut butter and if you don't, I can't pay my rent. And do you make it about you? Is it personal? No. Why? Because your consumer or your buyer doesn't care about you. So why would you ever make it personal? And if they don't buy it, do you yell at them? Do you scream at them? Do you get in an argument with your buyer? No, because it's not personal. It's business. That is the way you've got to operate with a narcissist. It's business. They don't care about you. They don't care about how you feel. They don't care. A lot of times they don't care about how the kids feel. They don't value anything that you say or do. So then why are you telling them how you feel about something? They don't care. So you're completely missing the messaging, right? So then you're going to take what are their, you know, again, in this peanut butter scenario, you're going to take what the, uh, you're going to understand your buyer and you're going to come up with various messaging and magic words and phrases that is going to then make the buyer feel really good about themselves. And then voila, you have a slogan called choosy moms, choose Jif. 
So that slogan and that peanut butter scenario is basically though they marketed that very well. They probably said, we're going to make moms feel good about buying our product. And so you're only going to be a choosy good mom should you buy my product. You have thus then rewarded your buyer for doing something you're asking them to do. Which is so interesting because, I mean, this was your world. And so for those of us who don't come from it, you know, just saying that, um, that slogan, you think, wow, they're not saying a darn thing about their peanut butter. They're not saying we're good, we're tasty, we're salty, we're like high quality. They're not saying anything because they're not making it about the peanut butter. They're making it about the buyer. Yeah. And making the buyer feel good about their choices. And and I, I kind of just, if you're listening, I want that to sink in and, and I get the making my spouse feel good. You might have a knee jerk reaction to that, but, but, but listen to where so often in our last few episodes, right? We talked about how we try to rationalize. So we're trying to have a conversation with insanity and it's not working or we're get it or we're in the deflect and defend or whatever it is. And, and what Lindsay is saying here is actually, you know, you have a goal, um, And you have a buyer that you know better than anyone because you've been with them for how long? Let's dive into what the, so so can you just go through the acronym first of all, what does MAGIC stand for? And I know we're not going to get through the whole thing, but if we could get to a few of them, that would be great. Sure. So my book is very much kind of a a workbook style, you know, uh, it's, it's a template for how to draft your communication plan. So MAGIC is mapping uh, their persona. And it gives you a number of questions. And I use a fictitious narcissist called Bill. And I do the questions and answers to give you, the reader, an understanding of how to do this yourself. Uh, So mapping their persona. A is assess their fears and insecurities. And again, same kind of question and answer so that you can understand what their fears and insecurities. And then you're going to basically come up with their top three to top five fears and insecurities. And then now this is always in what I hear the feedback is that's kind of an aha moment. It's maybe one or two things that that they have deep fears and insecurities. So then you have to ask yourself, uh, which is G, goal set, what is your goal? What is your goal for communicating? And if you do not have that answer, do not engage just yet. What is your goal? And does your goal trigger one of their top fears and insecurities? Ah, it does. So then why would I argue with them? Why would I trigger them and create an absolute meltdown, which is only going to trigger me and make me feel worse about myself, right? So the goal setting is, okay, you know, do I want to take, um, uh, do I want to have my kid sign up for gymnastics and, and are you going to then, you know, the, the, the goal might be to get that person to agree. Well, if your narcissist top fear and insecurity is money and gymnastics costs a lot of money, you now know what you're getting yourself into. So then by blatantly asking, and then subconsciously, you already know they're going to disagree and you're ready for war, then war happens, right? So after the goal set, you're going to then, which is I identify your words and phrases, and I give 10 words and phrases that you can kind of mix and match, customize to whatever the conversation you're having to then make it seem as though 
you are not being in a combative place and you're getting ready to, and you're already thinking two steps ahead. That's even by doing this exercise, you're two steps ahead of them. They're not thinking that (laughs) they have no idea what you're doing. Right. Um, and then the C part is communicating and putting it all together, right? It's taking the whole, uh, you know, the, the, the first four and then how are you communicating, which is my, as the writer, my goal is to help you to think about them differently. You think about them differently than you think about yourself differently. And then suddenly the energy is then shifted. And the entire way you end up communicating, what you end up communicating changes, not, you know, not what you're trying to get, but what you're, how you're communicating changes. So, Correct. so the, the first thing that, that I think is, wow, that's a lot of work. I have to do that every time I'm having a conversation with my ex and I want, you know, let's say we're in co-parenting now and I, and I want uh, his, his collaboration, but I don't think that's the case, is it? Like, what happens after you've done this a handful of times? So Karen, have you ever tried to lose 20 pounds? Uh-huh. Okay. So when you have to take on losing 20 pounds, you realize I have to change my habits and how I eat. Right. And those first couple of weeks takes effort. You have to think about planning your food, you're thinking ahead, you're picking out recipes ahead of time. It's a lot more work in the beginning because what you're doing is you're changing a habit. And then once you get the hang of it, it becomes second nature to then grab the vegetable instead of the cake, right? That's what this is. It's changing a habit. It's changing the programming in your mind that you have been doing for years and years and years. So yes, it does take some work, but it's just practice or just as though, you know, you go to the gym those first couple weeks to lose that weight, let's say, or to gain some muscle. It's not comfortable. We're sore. It hurts. Our brain will tell us to stop doing it because this isn't working. Mm -hmm. But then if we were to just stick with it, and be consistent, it becomes easier. And then we start to see results. So it's the same thing. Yeah. And it makes sense because like, once you sit down the first, as I was reading your book, I was like, okay, I really need to sit here and assess fears and insecurities. I've actually, you know, one or two might've come to mind, but for the most part, I just hadn't thought about it that way. And then it's like, after you've done that, you've done that. So it's like, you kind of know what the fears and insecurities are. And then I love some of your identifying words and it's almost like you've got this, this, this basket to choose from, Oh, that, that one really worked or that one, that one, you know, let me try that one. Um, so, so it sounds like this is something it's, it's a, it's a really easy read. It's got like really, really helpful information in there and then you work it. And what you're saying is work it for a couple of weeks and, um, begin to make those shifts and then you'll start really seeing change and it'll be easier to communicate with that person from this point forward. Right. And it's kind of like, if you're trying to give up cake or whatever the thing that made you fat, right. Or overweight, whatever your weakness is, um, it's hard to do in the beginning. And you then have to tell yourself, well, vegetables are better or whatever the thing that you're trying to do. And then you start to see that it actually is better. And then you, and you feel better, you feel better eating better. It's the same thing with communication. You will feel better when you start to communicate 
out of your own agency, meaning your core, your, your emotional, um, what I, you know, what I call your agency is it's when you start to operate, then you feel powerful and you feel empowered and you do not, now you're being proactive instead of reactive. And you would, might be surprised to know that 10 years of doing this and I ha- I'm the author, I have to think of my own magic words sometimes when I'm in the heat of the moment where I get triggered. Mm-hmm. And when we get triggered, it's typically when we least expect it, right? I mean, we are maybe having a really good day and then suddenly you get vitriol sent to you via text or email or you know, in front of you and you, 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 your brain will go back to the old patterns, which is to fight or to, to try to get them to see your point or whatever. Um, so that's why I really always say, you know, try to, if you, if you're not physically with this person anymore to try to keep conversation to writing, because then you can take a moment and not respond at all until you understand what your goal is for communicating is your goal. I always say, you know, if your goal is to tell them that they're wrong and you're right, just don't. they're never going to see it. They never will. And then you, and and then you engage and, and that's what they want. They're angry. They have a lot of anger. And that anger has been years and years of anger that has nothing to do with you. It's typically they're angry at their mom or dad, and you're now the punching bag and you're going to walk away. And again, I say this in my book, I said, they are lobbing you a, think of a tennis court. They are lobbing you a ball and you've been volleying back all these years. Now it's time for you to drop your racket and walk out. You don't have right. to. And only when you want to. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's where that earlier conversation of being able to understand the value of boundaries and set them um, comes in. And, and even what you said before, I think that, um, to ask yourself, what is my intention in communicating? This is 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 perfect. Uh, when we were talking to the high conflict uh, team uh, two weeks ago, they said uh, no apologies, no advice, and no admonishing, and uh, the three A's, and just just go through your email or your text and before you send it. And am I telling them what to do? Am I telling them why they're bad? And am I telling them why I'm bad and apologizing? And they're like, leave all three of those out um, and have a point, have, have like, what's the action? What's the action that you're trying to move by communicating? Right. I mean, the apologies thing, I, I, I see the directive behind it and and why. Um, But again, let's go kind of back to the business scenario. Um, If your customer comes to you and they're really pissed off, right? Uh, Do you argue with the customer? Um, Even though sometimes the customer is wrong, right? Again, it's business. So if you then would say you would apologize to keep that customer happy, right? Um, But it's not an emotional state either. And I agree that, you know, until you become truly skilled at this, I'm with you on that. Don't apologize. Yeah. It's just, it's a little bit dangerous because. Yeah. 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 But, um, you know, um, once you are completely not emotionally attached to this person that no matter what they say to you, just it's water over ducks back. Um, I think you do have, you know, I've, 
I don't apologize very often, but I might have to apologize in order to get what I want. So I, I do that more out of a manipulation thing. Um, um, but it's, it's, it's not out of being lying either. I, I always say no matter what you do and how you communicate, um, because I do use that kind of air, I have quotes around it, manipulate the manipulator. And, um, but it's not for you to be a nasty lying person like them. It's just, you're doing it from an authentic source and you're doing it, whether it's for your child or for you to help you get something that, that, that you truly need. Right. Right. Yeah. I always say, um, don't let someone else's bad behavior determine yours. And so, yes. uh, let's do this with grace and integrity and dignity. Um, and yet, yeah, there, there are times where you can use that. So before we wrap up, can you share a, a story? Uh, like I love the peanut butter short story. Do you have someone who's used this, who's come back to you? Like, is there something where we can make this really tangible? Like what would have happened is this, but after learning magic words, something different happened or it unfolded differently or the person reacted differently? Yeah, I have countless stories. Um, and I, you know, and I, and I get a lot of emails from, from readers about how, um, you know, how it really does feel like magic. Like they can't believe it. Right. Um, just the other day, I, I have a, a male client that I talked, uh, that I've been working with off and on, but his wife is such a bully or ex-wife because they're co-parenting a very small child. She's like four. Um, and she just tells him what to do all the time. And his MO before he started working with me is saying, you can't tell me what to do. Right. And, um, so when she starts bossing him around rather than in, um, engaging in it, um, is I hear you. I will think about that. I will consider it. And it stumps them because they're not. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) And he'll, you know, I get screenshots from clients of like, oh my God, I can't believe that worked. Um, and then, and then in that particular thing, she wrote, thank you, dot, 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 question mark. Like she didn't even know how to handle that. Right now, again, the, I hear you and I will consider that as buying you time Mm -hmm. so that you're in control. Right. It's also a great way to respond neutrally. You're not agreeing, you're not doing anything. And yet the one thing we all want, I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone in the world wants to be heard. And so you, and I just want to say to the, to the audience, the listeners, um, I, the identifying words is, is worth the price of admission. There are some just great, (laughs) great suggestions in there, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, I, I think, um, you know, another scenario I had was a really high conflict case of a client of mine where, um, you know, she thought the divorce was going to be somewhat amicable. It wasn't working and she was the breadwinner and she let him stay in the marital home. She moved. And then the next thing you know, um, he is slapping a complete wanting hundred percent full custody of the kids. And it was granted temporarily. And the temporarily was nine months, which was crazy. Right. Wow. Yeah. And so one thing we, you know, we, we don't have time to talk about, but it's maybe something we could talk about at another time is what happens in those situations when our kids start to then 
get brainwashed or you see early signs of alienation. Um, And oftentimes the person in my, let's just say in my client's case is very triggered. So when her kids start now abusing her or saying things that he would say, and he's basically using the kids as a weapon to come as portals to communicate. um, That's where things can get really bad really quickly. Right. And what she was doing was coming at the entire engagement from a real sense of visceral fear that she's losing her kids. Um, and so she had no power within her to truly fight him the way she had to legally. Right. And every time she would quote, try, he would then, basically make her look crazy and make her look like the angry one. Right. So what she did was basically taking my, um, book and assessing his fears and insecurity. His number one fear was exposure that he's the wrong, that he's a, in fact, a deadbeat, which he really was, you know? Um, and she kept her method before working with me and reading the book was telling um, he was a deadbeat, <laughs> telling him he was a deadbeat <laughs> and telling her lawyers, he was a deadbeat. And yep, then her yep. lawyers would tell his lawyers that he's a deadbeat. And then they would try to tell the courts about that. Right. Um, so I told her this and I say this in my book, what I'm about to tell you is going to make you want to puke. It's going to make you want to vomit. It's going to feel as it's going to go against every ounce of belief that you have, right? It's going to feel like going upstream here, but it's basically making him feel good about himself and that he is capable of finding a job and saying to him, how can I help you? Um, get back on your feet where then I can take, you know, so should you do that? I'm not going to take the kids from you. Mm. That was where it was all coming from, but she was too angry and scared to be able to think on that level. And once she started to, and, and of course she has so much anger, so much anger to, to, to come at it from that angle took some work. Right. right? But I said to her, what you've been doing isn't working. So why do you keep doing it? And she's like, you're right. You're right. I'm going to try it this way. And sure enough, um, he started to turn around and was really, again, by assessing his fears and insecurities and knowing what those were, it was very crystal clear now that when I speak to him, if I tap on that fear and insecurity, it's only going to be met with more conflict Mm -hmm. and rage. So she was able to, and and I'm giving you a very high level without all the details of how that happened, but sure enough, um, she was finally able to get him to go to mediation and the, the case did turn and she was, you know, awarded 50, 50 custody after nine months of that. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. You know, the, the saying you can, you can be right or you can be happy comes to mind and it's like, you know, we could, we could we can certainly tell the narcissist all of the ways that they're displeasing and wrong and bad and, and, and feed and fuel the fears and insecurities. And I think it's just brilliant what you put together here, the mapping of the persona, the, the, the getting crystal clear about their fears and insecurities, which you don't think about because you think there's just such big bullies. They don't have any, but the bullies have the biggest ones. Um, 
and, right. and the goal, like to really become very conscious about your, every conversation you're having, every text, every email, what's my point? And I do, I have one client, I work with emails all the time and I'm like, and why do you want to send that email? And what's the purpose there? And what was the intention? And what do you think might happen? And, you know, and so those are the questions you really want to ask yourself. And then, like I said, the identifying words is just a brilliant list that could apply in so many situations. And, um, right. Yeah, this is, this is, this is great. I really appreciate those examples that you gave. And I also want to just say too, that, um, depending on if you have kids and depending on their age, that's what you could start teaching your kids. Um, and you know, my kids were four and seven and now they're 15 and 17 or almost 18, uh, almost 11 years now, right. Mm. Of, of this. And they've had to grow up. And in the beginning they were very, protective of him. And I was the bad person. And through the years they've seen, um, his true colors, which they typically do. And now your kids are starting to struggle with the very problem you struggled with is just why you got out, but they can't get out. They can't divorce their parent. Right. So this is a really good, the book and the exercises within them is how now you've got information that you want to share with your children and you're not bashing their parent. You can then say, you know what, your dad, you know what, honey. And I say this, I mean, I have this conversation almost every week with my kids is, Okay, well, that makes your dad really anxious. Why? Because he doesn't feel in control. So by you telling him no is only going to be met with more anger. So how else can we look at this? And how else can you have that conversation with him that's coming from a place of truth without triggering anger within him? I mean, boom, now this book can be a wonderful tool for you to coach your kids. And and I think that virtually everything that we coach around and that we talk to you about, the bottom line is you your children are going to have to negotiate that personality for the rest of their lives. And so you learn, you hone your own skills, you heal your own heart, and then you pay forward to your children. Um, And, and I agree. I mean, my kids are 21 and 23 and it's like, they, they are so much better at handling things at their young age than I was in my forties. Oh my gosh. Right. Because I used every opportunity of what I learned to like pour it into them. Um, and so, and this, this communication strategy is just a brilliant way to love and support your children, to be able to have healthy communication or productive communication with their, their parent going forward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not that you're, I don't want your listeners to think that this is their job to break the cycle, but it's an opportunity to break the cycle because guess what? Codependency has been passed down to us from generation to generation to generation. I think of my mom, my parents, my grandparents, the great, I mean, I've heard the stories and it's like, we're born into this a lot of the times. It's just about how we're all conditioned to love and receive love. And you do have the opportunity now that you know what you're dealing with to potentially break that cycle so that your kids don't fall in love with an abuser or a narcissist or become narcissistic themselves. Exactly. Breaking generational chains in this situation is, um, is just giving a gift to your 
children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, etc. Exactly. So, so yeah, just passing it on. So, which is very empowering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Lindsay, I know that um, you have a very popular podcast called Unbreakable. You break up without being broken. Love that name. Thank um, you. So, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't tuned into Lindsay's podcast, it's unbreakable you break up without being broken and her website is lindsayellison.com is there anything else you want to share with our uh, listeners before we wrap up no i mean just you know um i my book is um on amazon and it is in print kindle and audible and if you do, um, uh, and a lot of people choose to do the audible, it's about an hour and a half recording. It's not a big book. I want everyone to prepare. I, I meant to keep it really, really needy yet thin so you can have it and keep it in your purse. But I also do have a worksheet that you can download on my website when you look at magic words and you'll see the worksheet that it, it's a digital worksheet that accompanies the audible version. Should you, um, cause it's really visual. That's I, I, like. I now it's that's great that you said that because as I was going through the book, I was thinking I really need and I'm a spreadsheet junkie. So I was thinking <laughs> I really need a worksheet like to figure this out. So that's great. So on her website, you can get the worksheet by the book. The book is terrific. It's it's tiny and it's robust at the same time. It's just packed. Thank full. you. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure um, being with you and, and learning so much about the strategy that you designed. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Divorce is hard, but a high-conflict divorce, it's overwhelming. It involves battling not just emotional tolls, but endless court dates, hidden finances, and toxic personalities. This is your call to action. Don't miss the ultimate high-conflict divorce summit from November 13 to 17, 2023. Our summit brings together an unparalleled lineup of experts, featuring leading psychologists who demystify high-conflict personalities, top financial advisors revealing strategies to uncover hidden assets, esteemed legal minds to guide you toward a favorable settlement, and renowned child experts who will arm you with the tools and tactics needed to fight effectively for custody. Act now and register for free to unlock an exclusive bounty of gifts from all 20 experts, yours just for signing up. Take back control. Visit journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash summit 2023. Register now and reclaim your future. Stay tuned for our next episode and I'll talk to you soon.